Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles, if you haven't done so already, or your journals, and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We are continuing our study through Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica, um, a church that Paul planted during his second missionary journey. Those events are recorded in the book of Acts, but he was only there for three weeks, And what we're going to find out in our text today is that Paul gave them a lot of deep theological teaching in just three weeks. He touched on how this church can grow in their faith, can be filled with the Holy Spirit, can love and serve other people, can uh, patiently wait for the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul gives very clear teaching on the details of Christ's return, and now he's following up. In fact, in these verses that we're going to read today, he's following up to remind them about a couple of principles because there was a question that came up in the church about what happens to people who are believers in Jesus Christ but die. Are they going to miss out or uh, have they missed out on the return of Jesus? So Paul is going to clarify that so that the, um, the title of the message or the, the theme for us today is the return of Jesus. And uh, we're going to see that in a couple of ways. Well, one is he's, Paul is going to talk about the specifics, the specific detail of, of Jesus' return. And then he's going to zoom back the prophetic and apocalyptic lens, so to speak, uh, dealing with the end times events. And he's going to look more broadly at this phrase called the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord speaks of a couple of things. It's actually an Old Testament expression that indicated a couple of things. It wasn't a specific day, but dealt with many different Um, uh, activities when it comes to God intervening in human history as well as God um, delivering his people and bringing judgment upon the wicked. So there's a lot of details that are included in this quote, the day of the Lord, but also more specifically, we're going to be looking at the return of Jesus. And this is a continuation, obviously, in the context of Paul's letter to this church, where last week he talked about having purity and holiness. And this is in light of waiting for the return of Jesus. So Paul talked about how God's will for our lives as followers of Jesus is our sanctification. And the word sanctification uh, means that we are set apart. We are made holy into the image of Jesus. And so Paul talked about how we should live holy lives, how how we should live friendly lives. He said that we should have brotherly love towards one another. This is kindness and and affection. And the love that God gives to us is the same type of love that we give towards other people. And other people will know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ by the love that we have towards one another. So he, Paul says that we should grow more and more and increase in, in love towards others. So there's this friendly brotherly love that's encouraged in the previous verses. And uh, then we are also told to, to live orderly lives. So we should live quiet lives, 
as well as minding our, our own business and working diligently with our hands and walking in such a way that our, our faith and our beliefs are consistent with our actions. And when that happens, there's a sincerity and authenticity in our relationship with God that people who don't know God are drawn to his love and, and drawn to his truth. And that gives us an opportunity to be witnesses for Jesus in our neighborhoods, our communities, our family, and our friends. So this is continuing on into what we're looking at today with, Jesus, with Paul talking about the return of, of Jesus. And the point that we want to remember today, as we have each week, we try to narrow down uh, our study into one main point. We provide that on our sermon notes. You can go to um, our website, uh, questsd.com slash services. And on that page, we have an upload of our sermon notes. And then a couple of days later, after on sun, you know, throughout the week, then we upload the messages on our, on our website, and, and we have those sermon notes available later as well. But you can go um, day of and get the sermon notes. And on our sermon notes, we have one main point. We really want to focus in on one main point, and then we see that in a couple of ways. And first is that Jesus is... Looming return brings Christians soothing relief. And what we mean by that is the return of Jesus is looming. It's, it's, it's imminent. It's, it's going to happen. It's a, it's a teaching uh, throughout the scriptures. Jesus taught on the return uh, as well as the apostles in the New Testament. So the looming return of Jesus brings us this soothing or the word that Paul chooses to use in this chapter is comfort. He says that twice in the verses today, that we should comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another uh, in the hope that we have in the resurrection, as well as comfort one another in the hope of Jesus' return. And so we're going to see this in a couple of ways. One, Paul is going to talk about Christian resurrection or the resurrection of Jesus and how that brings us comfort in having victory over death. Secondly, Paul's going to talk about Christ's manifestation or Christ's return, the appearance of of Jesus's return. And then thirdly, we're gonna see God's salvation. What are the details of God's salvation? That we have not been appointed, as Paul says, to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. So all of these things bring great comfort and then we get to partake of communion together in celebration of what God has done for us through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So uh, jumping into our study this morning in the text, looking at 1 Thess- Thessalonians chapter four, Beginning in verse 13, Paul says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And so there's actually a lot going on here. We'll we'll break it down as we get into this section. But one is Paul does not want this church to be unaware and uh, ignorant of the truth that he's talking about in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the the victory over the grave, as well as the return of Jesus. And so he talks about a couple things. One is, he says, those who have fallen asleep. Now, Paul's not talking about when you go to bed at night and you fall asleep. He actually uses the word sleep twice in this chapter and the verses that we're gonna look at, and he uses them differently. When he talks about those who have fallen asleep, it's, it's it's a kind way of saying those who have died, those who have passed away. And so later on in the chapter, he's going to say, don't be asleep. So he's not saying don't die. He's saying be alert, be watchful, be sober-minded. Don't be inactive or apathetic to the times and the seasons in which you live. So he says, 
don't be asleep in that sense for the return of, of Jesus and the day of the Lord. But here he's talking about those who have, have passed away. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And sorrow and grief is a natural thing that we experience when we go through grief and, and, and loss of, of a loved one. So he says in verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Notice the word for. It's a transition word. There's a connection between the reality of verse 14 of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection with the grief and the pain that we experience in verse 13. Those two are connected. And this is what brings us hope as those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So again, like I said, there's a lot going on here. We'll just pause and make mention of a couple of things. One is this phrase, by the word of the Lord. Notice that this is an emphatic uh, statement that Paul makes concerning this teaching that is to follow. It's not Paul's interpretation. And uh, as we get into end times prophecy and these sort of events that take place, there is general consensus among most scholars and believers that Jesus is returning. But there's a variety of interpretations when it comes to what that's going to look like and how it's going to happen. You might have heard some of the terms pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Basically, those are different interpretations of when Jesus is going to return. Is he going to come back before the great tribulation that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 24 or uh, Mark chapter 13. I sure hope so, but I don't know exactly. I don't want to go through the great tribulation and all the wrath of God that's being poured out on humanity. But uh, some believe that Jesus will return mid-trip during, during the tribulation or maybe after the tribulation. And so there's a variety of interpretations, but the point here in the scripture is not to determine because even Paul says, as Jesus says of, of himself, no one knows the, the time or the hour, the day or the hour. And even the Son of Man, Jesus says, of himself he doesn't know when that time will be. Therefore, if we don't know those times, we shouldn't make predictions about them, but we should be sober, vigilant, watchful, and ready. Prayerful is another word that Jesus uses to describe how we ought to behave and act when we're waiting for the return of Jesus. And so he says, by the word of the Lord. This is... Uh, a teaching that comes from God. And so we should not be ignorant or unaware of these. Now, I find it pretty remarkable that just in three weeks, Paul has already taught this church, this new church plant, about the principles and the particulars of Jesus' return and the day of the Lord. Because he says, uh, well, there's no need for, you, for me to teach you these things again, but we're going to have a little refresher course. And I think that every single one of us, whether we've been walking with the Lord a couple days or decades, we should be aware of and understand this very important teaching that is throughout the scriptures and uh, recorded for us here, that we should be aware of what is happening during this season and time of, of Christ's return so that we should not be caught unaware. So uh, what we see here is Paul clarifying the principles of Christian resurrection. This is before we get into the particulars of Jesus' return, and I think that this brings us great comfort, and this is re the reality of life. Paul says that I don't want you to be ignorant of those who have fallen asleep. Now, he's going to talk about this question. He's going to deal with this question. Well, what happens to those who, who have passed away? 
Are they going to miss out on the resurrection or are they going to miss out on the return of Jesus? And Paul answers this very clearly. And he says that you don't need to be fearful about this type of, of death and this passing. Um, and uh, it's something natural that comes to every single one of us. But not only death in life, we also see that there's sorrow and grief. And these are very real human emotions that are accompanied with loss and pain. They are a natural emotion when it comes to losing someone that we've loved. And maybe you've experienced that. I know over the course of the past uh, month or even a couple of months here in our congregation, there have been many who have been bedside uh, with loved ones who have passed away. And I've had the humble privilege, and some of us here in the church have had the humble privilege of being with them as they take their last breath and in their final moments, uh, passing from this life and to the next. And there's, uh, there's this sense of, of sorrow and grief, and that's okay. It's a part of Jesus was a man of sorrows, the Bible says, acquainted with grief. And since he's experienced that type of sorrow and grief in life, he was rejected, experienced loss and, and pain and suffering. So we now in Jesus Christ have a great high priest who is able to identify with our weaknesses and, with our, and sympathize with us in the pain that, that we've experienced. But the scripture says that we have a good shepherd who walks us through the valleys of the shadow of death. That God draws near to those who have a broken and contrite spirit. This word sorrow depicts someone who has a heavy heart. And we can go through life and experience heavy-heartedness. And it can weigh us down. But I love what Jesus says. If anyone is weary and heavy-burdened, Jesus says, come to me. And I will give you rest for your soul. And learn from me, for I am humble and lowly in heart. There's great promises in the scriptures that said, God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our sorrows and troubles. And so there's the comfort of God. There's a hope of God. And now notice Paul says, even though you are going to experience sorrow because of the loss of a loved one, we don't sorrow as without hope. And I love this word hope. We hold on to hope. Hope allows us to see through the pain. It allows us to see past and understand that God is working in the midst. It, it anchors um, our souls. In fact, hope in Christ is a safe harbor for the heart in crisis. When you're going through crisis, when you're going through difficulty, hope in Christ through what Jesus has done for us on the cross, but also having victory over death, over the grave. In fact, Paul says in, in his letter to the church in Corinth, he says that the last enemy is the grave. And Jesus has conquered the grave through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we have this wonderful hope. Now, that's not to say when someone's going through a lot of sorrow in life, you say, well, it's going to turn out okay. Just uh, God's got a plan. No, that's not what you say. There's a ministry of just being present and the Lord ministering to somebody. In fact, we were in the bedside um, a couple weeks ago and uh, as one of uh, our church members passed away and their loved ones and, and um, her, her favorite um, song, her favorite hymn was um, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. And I don't know if you're familiar with the story of that, the author he experienced a lot of loss, lost his wife and lost his kids in a tragic accident. And he was able to write these words at a later date. It is well with my soul. I, I know that God is in, in control. And um, there was also a Psalm 23 was one of her favorite verses that um, I will be with the Lord forever. I mean, it ends with this just great hope and, and comfort. 
and there is um, there's a reality uh, there's a reality of pain when it comes to sorrow and grief. But in Christ, God has soothed the pain of death, but He's also solved the problem of death. He soothed the pain because He gives us hope, but He solved the problem of death because He has conquered death through the person of Jesus Christ. There's this hope, even though we go through this crisis. And that is linked to the promise in verse 14. If we believe, do you believe? This is an important question that we all need to ask ourselves. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that he uh, was buried in the tomb? Do you believe that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures? Well, if you believe that, then there is life after death. There is proof that, as Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. So in Christ, physical death is the passageway to spiritual life. It's just a passing on from one place to the next. There is a reality of what Jesus Christ has conquered in raising from the dead and giving us that victory over death as well. So Paul says there is great comfort and there is great hope for those who are in Christ. Having believed these truths, we now have victory over the grave, but there's a comfort that comes. Now, in this resurrection, through what Jesus has done, Paul talks about the particulars and the specifics of Christ's return. In the context of this, look at verse 16. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Everyone say caught up. This is a very fascinating phrase. It's actually the uh, phrase or the word where we get our word rapture. Now the word rapture is not in the Bible, but this word caught up is uh, kind of the source of the, the English word rapture. It's a translation of it, which means to seize or to grab by force. And so this is the idea, the, the, the teaching of the rapture, the catching up, the removal of the body of Christ or of the church from planet earth. And so he talks more about the specifics here. We who are alive will be caught up with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Everyone say always. This is a good word. I like this word. Always with the Lord. The beauty of heaven is not the pearly gates it's not the streets of gold. In fact, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms or mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you that where I go, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. There's the hope of heaven, is being with Jesus. And the reality is that mortality and life will not end our unity with Jesus. That's the reality of the teaching here as well as the rest of Scripture, is that mortality or death in life will not end our unity with Jesus. Now, we can be with Jesus now. He promises to be with us always, to never leave us nor forsake us. But that is also true of passing from this life into the next. And so, in these verses, Paul specifies the proof uh, or the details of Christ's return or of his appearance. A couple of things here. We see the appearance the descending. Now, you remember when Jesus ascended up into heaven after his resurrection. 
And the disciples were looking and wandering and watching Jesus ascend up into heaven. And an angel said, just as you've seen Jesus ascend up into heaven, he will also descend. And so there is a descending or a coming down or a catching up or a, a meeting. Again, I don't know all, I don't think anyone really knows all the specifics. We can speculate, we can consider, we can talk about to meet up in the air. Is that going to be visible? Are we going to see that? There's a couple of things we do need to make clear. One is, is that Paul says that Jesus himself will descend. So there is a literal and a personal return of Jesus Christ. And in that literal and personal return of Jesus Christ, there is a reunion. There is a meeting up. So Paul, in these verses, answers the original question. What happens to those? Well, they're going to be a part of not only the resurrection of the body, but also the return of Jesus. So a proper Christian anticipation includes the imminent return of Jesus in his appearance, when he will come. We are ready and we are expectant for Christ's return. Whenever it can happen, Paul goes on to talk about the times and the seasons and uh, as a thief in the night. It's very sudden and unexpected. But Paul answers the question by saying, through this arising or this rapturing or this catching up, no matter your status, whether living or dead, the result of the rapture is the same, and that is reunion with Jesus. Now, we don't know if those physical bodies or spiritual bodies, right, there's a, a reunion of of the body. Now, Paul says in the beginning verses, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. Now, Paul is not teaching some type of soul sleep type of doctrine where there is a sus- suspended state of unconsciousness. The Bible says very clearly that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And there is a consciousness of our souls when it comes to living in our physical bodies as well as in our spiritual new bodies. Now, I don't know exactly how that physical body is going to be reunited with the spiritual body, but the truth of what Paul is teaching here is that every single one of us, one, uh, will experience, if we are living, will experience the reunion or the catching up uh, with Jesus in the air, but we will also experience the resurrection of the physical body and the spiritual body. There is that reunion to Arise Now, notice what happens. A couple of events are described for us here. And uh, one is, there is a shout of the archangel. And I find that pretty interesting because you remember what happened when Jesus was born in Bethlehem? There was suddenly a host of heavenly angels singing and glorifying God, saying unto the shepherds out in their fields at night, um, and uh, declaring that uh, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So you can imagine. Now Paul's not saying there's one archangel. In this phrase he's talking about many angels. Angels of heavenly hosts declaring this return. Now I don't know who's going to hear that or how we're going to hear it or perceive it. But there is a, a sudden and dramatic and fantastic fashion in which this church is being caught up and uh, re- re- reunited with Jesus uh, in the air. And then we're told about the trumpet. Now, the trumpet's also pretty fascinating because in the Old Testament, the trumpet was used to call the Israelite people to war. So they would blow the trumpet and the Israelites would get ready for war. Also, we see here that a trumpet was used to uh, assemble God's people in these end times events. And then we're also told in the book of Revelation, if you're familiar with that, that there are trumpet judgments, that when the 
trumpets are, are, are blown, that there is an, uh, an outpouring or an activation or initiation of God's judgment. So we're told here that this is a very clear and distinct event that is taking place in reuniting. And uh, whatever it is, it's not talking about soul sleep or a sus- suspended state of animation. But we are told in these verses that deceased Christians will be with Jesus. And this should bring us comfort and hope. We're also told that deceased Christians will experience the rapture and the resurrection, whether they are reunited uh, in a spiritual sense to a physical new body. The Bible says that we're given new bodies. Uh, But there is this reunion and all of us will experience that at some point, whether we are living or whether we remain. And Paul says, notice here, to always be with the Lord. What do you think that word always means? I think a couple of things it implies. One is a continuation with Jesus. If you're with Jesus now, you're going to be with Jesus then. And that should give us hope. Secondly, I think it implies comfort in death. There's comfort in God's hope of the resurrection because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And then thirdly, I think it gives us confidence in the future. What God says will happen. There's a a confidence of what happens after this life when we pass into the next. So always to be, to comfort one another with these words. This should give us great comfort. And then lastly, we see here that Paul describes this day of the Lord. So specifically, we're looking at the return of Jesus, right, in these previous verses. Now Paul is going to zoom out the prophetic lens and look at this day of the Lord. But concerning the times, this is important, concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Why? Because he's already taught them. Notice, this is something that uh, was very familiar with this church as they waited for the return of Jesus. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. So these are words and phrases being echoed by the Apostle Paul in Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 24 of the end times and uh, the, the judgment of God. And so he says peace and safety. Well, this is kind of the idea of, of deception, that it looks like everything's going on as normal. And uh, there is a political, social, and economical delusion that people are lulled into spiritual slumber. There's a spiritual sense of sleeping through what is happening in the culture and in the social fabric of the time of Christ's return. In fact, Jesus says that uh, during this time, it'll be like the days of Noah, where people were uh, just going about their normal lives. And then suddenly, here is the day of the Lord and the return of Jesus. So he talks about that labor pains. But you, brethren, verse 4, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be watchful and sober. Notice it's the same word in our English, but it's being used differently. Let us not fall, let us not die, but let us be watchful, not fall asleep. So there's a spiritual discernment that Paul is talking about to understand the seasons and the times, not in the specific details of, well, when is this going to happen, like the day 
and, and the time. And I would say just be very cautious and leery of those who would say, well, I know when it's going to happen. And uh, there's been many people throughout history who have tried to predict the return of Jesus. They said, well, he's behind Haley Bop Comet or whatever it was back then. And uh, see all that see all that stardust back there? Those are the angels. And as it passes by the earth, Jesus is going to come out from behind the comet and say, ta-da, here I am. Which is pretty weird. And it's not scriptural. And we thought, well, Y2K, everything's going to shut down and here comes Jesus. And whatever it is, uh, there's a prediction that some people will, will, will make. But I think prophetic predictions of Christ's return are problematic projections because they go against what the scripture says, that we don't know the time and the hour. So uh, turn off the television of somebody who's saying you got to be ready because it's going to happen on this day or this month or this year. Uh, and in order to be ready, you got to send your money to, uh, to me. And then I'll really tell you. If you send your money to me, I'll tell you the actual day. Uh, so that's just fleecing the flock. It's deception. And so um, don't fall for it. Don't be asleep. Be sober-minded and, and watchful. And uh, be ready. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith. Notice there's some preparation that we can do, some practical things that we can do to be prepared for the return of Jesus, breastplate of faith. And putting on uh, uh, love and the helmet of hope as a salvation. For God did not, oh, this is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. I love this verse. Circle it in the person's Bible behind you. Just turn around right now and uh, do it. They'll love you for it and you will have a, meet a new friend today. Um, this is such a great verse. For God did not, Appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, notice he ties all this together, whatever your status. Now he goes back to the original sleep. He goes back to the original. So he's used the word sleep three times. One is to die. The second is to be spiritually uh, tuned out. And then here he goes back to whether you have slept, whether you've deceased, or whether you're alive, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. Paul verifies the particulars of God's salvation. There's an initiation of the day of the Lord, as I mentioned, broadly speaking, talking about God's intervention in human history, talking about how God is bringing salvation and deliverance for his people, how God is bringing judgment upon the wicked, how God is also establishing his kingdom. Those are all wrapped up in this phrase, the day of of the Lord, but there is a deception. Peace and safety, everything's going on as normal. People will be caught off guard even as life continues on gradually. Don't be caught off guard. Be watchful, be ready. Have spiritual eyes and, and discernment. Don't be lulled into a spiritual slumber because of pure, uh, political peace and safety. Oh, this person is gonna be the savior. No, he's not. No one can be the savior of your soul aside from Jesus Christ. You surrender your heart to Jesus Christ, then you're not appointed to wrath. And the word appointed speaks of God's divine sovereignty. But the word to obtain speaks of man's participation in the sense of um, acceptance. Have you accepted? I just love this because it's the, the, it connects, um, this verse connects to one of the greatest verses, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, oftentimes we stop at 3.16, but verse 17 says, For God did not send Jesus into this world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. We're not appointed to wrath. We don't like to talk about the wrath of God. Fire and brimstone. Get ready. Get return of Jesus. These are all early church doctrines and teachings of every church that should be ready, sober, vigilant, and alert for the return of Jesus, understanding and discerning the times, not being uh, spiritually blind to the events that are going on around us, but we must be diligent. See that? Paul says that we should be sober and watchful. We must carry on with diligence until the return of Jesus' appearance. But the point here in closing, and I'll have our worship team come, up, come on up and we're going to lead us in a closing song, but also just as an opportunity to prepare our hearts for communion, which is a picture of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. In the bread, it speaks of Jesus' broken body. In the, the juice, it speaks of Jesus' shed blood. And so in this we see the point. What's the point? Why are we talking about the return of Jesus? Why is Paul bringing this back up? Well, one, he's comforting those who are really grieving the loss of loved ones. And he's bringing this hope and this comfort as an anchor to their soul and to their heart, even though they're going through great pain in life, which is natural. We're going to go through that. We still have a hope that anchors us through recognizing that there is more to life after this physical death. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But he also says that we should be ready because Jesus is coming back. There is a return that is a reality. It's real and it's personal. And in order for us to accept that, we need to understand this final point that Paul says. The point of Jesus' return is the rescue of believers from the wrath of God. God has not appointed you and I to wrath. Now what does that tell us? A couple of things. One is, is that God has wrath. That's not a good message to give. It's not a seeker-friendly message to give. That's not a fill the pulpits, or excuse me, fill uh, the, the, uh, the congregation and fill the seats in the sanctuary type of message to give. But it's the most important message to give. God has wrath. And that wrath is poured out upon those who are wicked and those who rebel against God and those who will go against his commands. But even though there's some bad news, there's also good news. The Bible also teaches us that God is a God of love. And do you realize that on the cross of Calvary, God's wrath was poured out? You see, God did not set aside his wrath so that we could obtain salvation. He fulfilled his wrath by pouring it out upon Jesus Christ. He took, Jesus took, the wrath that you and I deserve so that we could obtain salvation, so that we could be acquitted of the grievous sins that put Jesus on the cross in the first place. Now let me ask you this question. Have you obtained salvation through Jesus Christ? There's no more important decision and no more important thing that you could settle right now in your own heart and in your own life God has not sent Jesus Christ to condemn you, but to give you life and life more abundantly. 
And Paul, in the previous teachings and some of his other letters, has said, you're partaking of communion in an unworthy way, meaning you're holding on to the elements and you haven't surrendered your heart to God. Let me encourage you, as Paul tells us, to examine our hearts. And you can do that as we sing this song and just even right now in the quietness of your own heart to make your life clear and to establish hope in Christ through his resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If that's something that you want to do right now, you haven't done that before, it's a great time to do that. So let's all bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the hope of the resurrection. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the extravagant demonstration of your love on Calvary. And we pray right now. I just pray for anyone who's in this room and those who are joining us online who may be hearing this podcast at a later date. You've stumbled across it. A friend has sent it to you. And you were on someone's mind today because they know you're going through some pain and they sent you this message or they wanted to comfort you with God's hope. We can't have hope if that hope is not anchored in Jesus. And when it's anchored in Jesus, there's hope everlasting. And right now, in the quietness of your own heart, you can say, God, forgive me of my sin. I want to settle this once and for all. I want to obtain your salvation, and I want to obtain it your way. I know, God, there's nothing that I can do to, to earn it or to work for it. You did everything for me. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death, and to raise victoriously so that I can have victory over sin and victory over death. I surrender my life to you. Come fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a new person. Wash all of my sin away. I want to be born again. I thank you, God, for this love. I thank you, God, for this sacrifice. I thank you, God, for your salvation. We love you, God. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.